Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. come now to the time in which we hear and we receive and we become hearers and doers of God's word. Today our scripture comes from Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 through 18. It is our custom to stand and so I invite you to stand in body or in spirit for the reading of God's holy word. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you and now that I am away it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world, in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life, then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, God, we pray right now, we know that your spirit is moving. So, Lord, we pray that your spirit would move in a powerful and holy way wherever we are, however we are. God, move. Your people are listening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever felt helpless? I'm sure you have. I felt absolutely helpless yesterday as I watched a team in purple go down the field and keep scoring touchdowns, and the team in orange do nothing right the whole day, right? Like, I did everything I knew to do. I sat in different places in our living room, right? I changed my shirt at halftime, but it made absolutely no difference, right? Just totally and completely feeling helpless, right? We have all sorts of situations in which we find ourselves helpless, right? Um, in, in next week, we're going to have an election, and, and you may care a great deal about what happens but you're going to find yourself helpless when it comes on election day. You, uh, your kid has a test. Your kid is out there. Your grandkid is out there playing a game. And at that moment, there, you are helpless. There is nothing that you can get them to you say or do that will help them in that way. Maybe at the doctor's office, as you are an impatient patient, waiting to see the doctor or waiting for that phone call. You, you want that phone to ring so you know, but you're helpless as to what the news will be and when you will get the news. And of course, if you want to feel helpless, go to an airport. Delayed, canceled. What can you do, right? We hate this feeling of helpless. And, and feeling helpless, is, it is this feeling that nothing you can do can make anything any better. There is nothing that you can do and you just feel overwhelmed with this feeling of helplessness and inability and insecurity and we hate to feel helpless. We hate the idea that there is nothing that we can do 
And so we will do anything to avoid feeling helpless. And so oftentimes, if helplessness is one edge, then on the whole other edge is control. And so many of us, because we hate the feeling of of helplessness, because we hate the feeling of uncertainty, we will do anything in our power to be in charge and to be in control. And so I came across this definition of control, and this is what control is. Control is the ability to impose our will on the world around us and the sense of empowerment that gives us. Now, this is written by a lady who's a pastor. Her name is Sharon Hod Miller. And uh, I didn't know anything about this woman until about six weeks ago when I was listening to one of my podcasts and she was on the podcast. And then about a month ago, on another one of the podcasts I listened to, she was on the podcast. And then about two weeks ago, she was on another podcast. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like a sign from God, right? Um, well, how do I know God's will? It's often about connecting the dots. And so um, I figured, well, she had, in each of her, the podcasts, she talked about her new book that just came out called The Cost of Control. The Cost of Control. Um, and a, much of my sermon is really stemmed from her work in this book. And so I, I really, I read it, I encourage you to read it, all right, or listen to it, because there's so much truth in it. Because we live in a world, and we are people who greatly desire control in any way, shape, or form that we can. We are control freaks, whether we believe it or not. And if nothing else, we, we don't just strive for control, but we will strive for the illusion of control. We want the sense that we are in control. But the truth is, is that control is simply that, an illusion. And we know that the bigger the situation is, the less control I have over it. The bigger and more important and heightened it is, the less that I have control over it. And so many of us, we we choose to live in a world that doesn't exist. The world of, I'm in control of my surroundings, of my people, of my life. And one of the gifts slash curses that the pandemic brought to us was it brought this illusion of control under the microscope. And it brought into reality that you and I do not have anywhere near the amount of control or authority that we think we do or that we desire to. But there's a big problem with control. That the idol of control is sinful. In fact, the idol of control, the desire to have control, is actually the original sin. And so if we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, we have the story of Adam and Eve, and they were given authority, the ability to tend and work in the garden, and the presence of God in there, but it wasn't enough. And God said, you can eat of any of the trees, but don't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, of course, what did Adam and Eve did? And in my mind, I imagine that like as they were making their rounds around the neighborhood of the garden, they kept circling closer and closer to that tree, looking at that tree to see, is there something different about this tree? Maybe even climbing that tree. What's different about this tree? Why can't we know? We need to know. And then all they needed was the whisper of the serpent. And do you hear what the serpent says? You won't die, the serpent tells him. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And this is what 
you and I desire when we fall for the idol of control is that we want to be like God and having the ability to exert our will on the world. That when we seek control, we are saying, my will be done. When there's already a holy will that is working in the world. So in the book, she goes through a variety of ways in which we, how we seek control. Um, and so I want to share just a few of the highlights or lowlights, depending on which, where, where you kind of sit with it, about ways in which we seek control. Now, one of the primary ways that we seek control is knowledge and information. This is actually what Adam and Eve did. They would know of good and evil. You and I, we live in a world of the idolatry of knowledge. And the amazing thing is, is that we can know more now than at any other time in history, right? Because I can just sit there and I can be like, Alexa, what was the weather on June 4th, 1987, right? And it would tell me the weather was da-da-da. I can Google all sorts of information. I have the ability to know all sorts of things, right? Like I can know exactly what street the UPS driver is on when he is trying to deliver my package. See, Travis, I use UPS. I didn't use one of the other ones, all right? I made sure UPS. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that just knowing where the driver is at means that I have control of when my package will arrive. But we think, if I just know, right, we have this idolatry of knowledge. Just because I've, I've done all my research on a certain thing doesn't mean that everybody is going to see things the same way that I do. Just because I, I have something weird that happens and I use WebMD that all of a sudden I know exactly what my conditions are. But we think we do. Just because I know what the weather forecast doesn't mean we're not going to be surprised by a tornado in Mustang on Monday morning. Hypothetically. And just because I have information doesn't mean that you're going to believe it. Or just because you think you're convinced on something doesn't mean other people will. I love this quote that she shares from a gentleman by Edwin Friedman who says, the colossal misunderstanding of our time is the assumption that insight will work with people who are unmotivated to change. And I know I've been guilty of thinking, well, if people will just have the right information, they'll make the right conclusion. But that's impossible because your story and your experiences and your information is always going to be different than mine. We've walked two different roads. We've experienced two different things. Information is not that. But yet we try to get information in order to be able to manipulate and affect our world. Another way that we seek control is that we seek control of security, primarily in a lot of ways through money. Um, one of the things that she says in the book is this. When we cling to money for stability and predictability and live in dread of losing it, we are using money to feel in control. Now, it feels kind of weird to me. We're in the midst of this generosity campaign of, of hope, and we're also in the midst of, of this crazy inflation that's going on in our world, and I'm asking you to give. And it, sometimes it feels like, gosh, living is hard enough. Giving is even harder. But, but what I really believe as a follower of Jesus Christ is that our relationship to money is wrong. 
In fact, Jesus, the number one thing he talked about was the kingdom of God. The number two thing he talked about was money because he realized that while we think we hold on to money, that the more that we hold on to money, the tighter grip that money has on us. And so it doesn't matter how much money we have because it still can have a grasp on us. And so generosity is the practice, and we're going to be talking about this more next week, of relinquishing control and helping us to not be controlled by money and security, but instead to live under the authority of Jesus Christ. The Proverbs say it great. Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. It says, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And so one of our practices that we do is that we are generous so that money doesn't have its hold over us. Now, another way that we seek control is through this idea of autonomy. Now, maybe the best way I can use to help us to understand autonomy is actually from the book of Judges. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, there's uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, um, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then there's this book of Judges. It's a weird and crazy time. If you want to read weird Bible stories, go to the book of Judges. Because what would happen is that there would be a judge who was more of a political general is probably a better way. A general is probably a better way for us to understand it than a judge like with the gavel. It's more of a military leader that God had ruled, raised up for a particular time. But again and again, the refrain in the book of Judges is this. In those days, there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And if there's something that's going on in our world today... And I, I, I sort of tossed this out at the 8.30 service. They kind of nodded at me. So they sort of agreed with it too. Is that we're back in the time of the judges. In these days, there is no king. And even Christians, we have a hard time of following the lordship of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we do not practice living under authority in our life. When we say, nobody can tell me what to do. When we say, I'm going to do it my way. We are not living under the authority of Jesus Christ. and Instead, we're seeking to control the world through autonomy. It's not about freedom. It's really about control. I want it my way. And you and I are experiencing that again and again. There was this quote that she has in the book, and it just shook me to my core. It says this, we can be in control or we can be in community, but we can't be both. We can be in control or we can be in community, but we can't be both. And so for us, it's about living under the authority of Jesus. Now, one of the more scary things, and Halloween's tomorrow, and and I know some people like Halloween because it's scary. Other people like Halloween for candy. Other people like Halloween because they can just dress up as whatever they want to for a day, whatever it is. But but in the scariness, I'm going to say something that's very scary, I think, to some people. may bring back some bad memories. Group project. (laughs) You remember that when the teacher would say, all right, this next assignment is a group project, right? And like, you know, and you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I hope to be in a group with them because they'll do all the work, right? And then there's like, I don't want to be in a group with them, right, for lots of reasons. Um, And then, you know, in that group, there's always kind of the people pleaser who tries to make everybody get along, right? And we hated this group project because in school we've trained it, that it's about individual accomplishment. And I think there's a value to that and there's some good parts about that. But life is not about individual accomplishment. Life, family, 
church, work, it's a group project, y'all. And it's messy. And there's people who do and say things that you don't agree with from time to time. But you got to find a way to get to the end. And so part of that is, is that if you struggle for control in a group project, you're going to lack community in the world that we live in. Because this is another way in which you and I seek control, is we seek to control other people. Now, I want to say that most of the time when we seek to control other people, it's because we have a good end in mind. We have a good reason why we want our kid to do X, Y, or Z, why we don't want our friend to date that certain person. We have a good end in mind. But this is what she says in her books. Whenever we try to control something in order to fix it, we will end up breaking it even more. Whenever you try to control someone in order to fix them, you will end up breaking them and your connection even more. Because it creates anxiety and people weren't destined to be governed by other people um, in a controlling sort of way. That takes away our agency and our personhood. Now, I learned a new terminology a month or two ago. Um, and this terminology, you probably heard of helicopter parents, you know, parents that, that hover around um, and are kind of everywhere. Um, but there's this new term called lawnmower parents. Have you all heard this one? And lawnmower parents are parents who will pave the way of any obstacle for their kids so their kid never experience pain or harm. This is trying to control something. And what ends up happening is that when we try to control people, even in our best attempts, we inevitably fracture our relationship with them because God did not design people to be controlled. And what often happens in relationships when you try to control your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your friends, is you end up maybe doing some short-term work, but the long-term harm is there. Because it makes trust and other things disappear. And so we have to find ways to maneuver and help each other towards good, but we cannot control. Now, another thing that we try to control are our circumstances. We do this again and again. We do everything we can to make us feel safe, to make us feel secure. We try to control our health. Have you ever, um, one of the things that just breaks my heart is whenever somebody who's done everything right with their body and they still get a terrible diagnosis. It just doesn't feel fair. It doesn't feel right, right? And that we, we try to control our circumstances. We try to control the decisions of other people. And, and really, there is a, there's a bad gospel that's a part of this. It's called the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel essentially says that if you do this right, God will do this for you. And oftentimes that means earthly blessings, which is not biblical at all. What we need is that if we don't live in an if-then relationship with God, because then God is a formula or he's a slot machine that if you just pull it just right, you get what you want. That's not who God is. So we are called to do the right thing, not so that we get the right results, but because the right thing is the right thing. But sometimes you and I, we try to do all these things in order to please God because of our mistheology about who God is and how God works. And then when our circumstances don't go the way we expect them to go, we get mad at God when we haven't been promised some of these things. Now, another thing that we try to control is our reputation. 
We try to control what people will think of us. There are some of you in this room who are people pleasers. I'd ask you to go ahead and raise your hand to out yourself, and you would because you'd want to please me, but I'm not going to do that. So how do you know if you're a people pleaser? You're like, I'd raise my hand if he asked me to. may not raise it very high, but I'd certainly do it. But we care about what other people think about us. And we want to control what other people think about us. But again, that's impossible. We can't please everybody. There's no way to satisfy everybody. And so this is what happens. Is you and I, we relentlessly pursue control. And the cost of that is incredibly high. You and I are anxious. We're exhausted. And we continually live in chaos. The result of us trying to control our circumstances, people, our reputation, others, means that we're anxious because we're constantly dealing with stuff we don't have any control over. We're exhausted and we live in chaos because we are continually having to try to do stuff that is bigger than our shoulders can handle. And more than that, we're missing the whole point of faith. She says this quote in the book. If faith is believing what we cannot see, control is the opposite. It is choosing to trust what we can see, namely our power, knowledge, and intentions. If faith is believing what we cannot see, control is the opposite. It's choosing to trust what we can see. I can do it. I can fix it. If this one thing will happen, then this other thing will happen, and everything will be okay. And this is not the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ has come and he is Lord of all, which means he is in control. Now, God is not controlling. I don't believe, and part of our Wesleyan and Methodist theology is that you and I have free will. There are other churches that don't agree with this, but this is what our church believes, is that God is not up in the heavens as the great puppet master who's like, Aaron, raise your right hand now, all right, and back down, as if this is what God is doing. God is not controlling. God is teaching. God is moving. God is doing something, but he's not forcing you, he is not controlling you. He gives you free will to respond to what he is doing. And that you and I have the option to respond. Not that we can control the world and not that we're completely helpless, but you and I do have this idea called agency. Now, agency is the power we have to influence ourselves, to influence others, and to influence circumstances. And agency is necessary for hope. Because if you feel helpless and you have no power whatsoever, you're not going to feel any hope right? And on the other end, if you feel like, oh, it all depends on me, it's hard to have hope because you have to rely on other people. But if you have agency to believe that you can participate in a better you, in a better world, in a better church, in a better family, and that the results are left to others, you can find a way forward. And that's really what the scripture is all about in Philippians chapter 2. And we read these words, but it's been a while, so you may have forgotten, so let me remind you. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So agency is this trust. Uh, In the NIV, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Right, That there is this idea that, yes, Jesus is the one who saves us, that God is the one who redeems and makes things right and new, 
but we have a role to play. We can participate in it as well, that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Last week, we did a baptism of a, of a young lady, and, and you know, it was God who did the work of the baptism, but she had to step into the water. She had agency in that process. We're going to be doing a, a baptism a, a little later on here with a, a little one. And, and part of it is the parents are showing agency to saying we are choosing to raise this child up in the faith. But we cannot control what she does later. But we're going to do everything within our power to provide her the environment she needs to grow up in the faith. That's agency. It's not control. It's about what we can do. And so this is what this scripture says about agency. And holy agency is this. It's the desire and the power to do what pleases God. And so God wants to give you the desire to do the next right thing. He wants to give you the understanding so that you know what the next right thing is to do. And he empowers you to do it. And so sometimes we feel helpless because we have determined that it's about our results, not about who God is inside of us. And really, agency, I want us to be clear about this, is not focused on the results that we want. That's about control. But becoming the people that God wants. Agency is not about, well, if I do it all, then I'll get the results I want. But agency is about becoming the person that God wants us to be. And this is the key thing. Because he is doing something. He is moving. And he invites us to participate. To work out our own salvation. With fear and trembling. You have a part to play in your own growth. You have a part to play in this world becoming a better place. You have a part to play in this church becoming more and more like heaven. So what I want to be, I want to just make sure I'm clear on the difference between agency and control. Because I know um, multiple people have said, Aaron, I haven't ever thought about the word agency like that. Again, when you think about agency, you think about like a state farm agent, right? An agent, that kind of thing. But, but part, so I want us to, again, just be clear. So in the book, she talks about, there's a little chart that talks about the difference between control um, and agency. So for example, in relationships, Control looks like manipulation, it looks like pressure, it looks like coercion, it looks like strong arm, and it looks like force. And I want to pause because I forgot to say something important. This sermon, and some of you may have to go back and watch it on YouTube or listen to it on our podcast, because you've spent this whole time thinking that somebody else needs to hear it. And that's not where this is at. This is not a them sermon, this is a me sermon. It's a me sermon for me too. So, so I don't want you to think about, oh, I hope this person who has controlling issues because I've realized in my own life that there are things that I've tried to control that if you would have asked me six months ago or two years ago or five years ago, be like, no, that's not me at all, I'm laid back. But the truth is I have my own control issues. So don't think about this as if it's for somebody else. Think about it as where do I have control issues. So relationships, manipulation, pressure, coercion, strong arm, force, agency. What do we do as agents in relationships? We provide wise counsel. We support, we undergird them, and we encourage, we gently nudge them, and we pray for them. What does it look like in our circumstances? If we are seeking control in our circumstances, that means we overwork, we obsessively plan, we cut ethical corners, and we cheat. 
But with agency, we can plan and we can prepare and we can execute conscientiously. But we have to act within the boundaries of Sabbath, this great gift of God that none of us really ever participate in. We maintain a biblical moral code and a well-ordered life. For our reputation, control looks like that we cultivate a false image, that we try to manage what other people think about you. But in, with agency, it means to cultivate integrity, to be the same person in public that you are in private. So you and I, we have agency. And so what often happens in the world is when we're out of control, what do we do? We complain about them. Right? We grumble. Huh? They don't know what they're doing. Next slide. Next scripture. Do everything. Ooh, I don't like this. Can we say, like, do most things? Is that okay with you all? Do almost everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you? No, no, no. It says do everything. We need to take the Bible seriously. When I'm complaining, when I'm arguing, I'm not living the life that God would have for us so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. You all, we live in a world and we participate in a world that is trying to control you. They're trying to control who you vote for, and I mean everybody. They're trying to control what you buy, what you wear, how you talk. They're trying to get you to do stuff all the time because it's for their good. But we are called to respond positively in a world that is trying to control, to say, that's not my job. I can't control that. Instead, I'm going to choose to be agents of God's goodness and to live clean and innocent lives, shining like bright lights in a world of darkness. So my friends, we're going to have trouble. You are not in control. Even in your best of intentions, you're not in control. But you do have holy agency to make the earth more like heaven and yourself more like Jesus. That you can participate in your own salvation. Jesus died and raised from the dead. You don't have to control. You don't have to be God. You don't have to be a Lord. You already have one. You just have to surrender to that. So God, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing in my family? What are you doing in my church? What are you doing in my workplace? What are you doing in my world? And how can I participate in that to make my heart and the world a better place? Simply put, just do the next right thing again and again, no matter what the world tells you to do. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.